This is the Animal's Eye View podcast, and I'm your host, Lizanne Flynn. Maybe it's the time of year with coming on to the solstice on the 21st of December, the longest night of the year, but I thought we might take just a brief journey, pun intended, into the topic of shamanism. And as a backdrop, I would invite you to think about the shared energy environment that you share not only with your human family members, if you live with other humans, but also your animal companion family members. For them especially, they are most sensitive and most responsive to, and probably I would also say most reactive to, the fluctuations in our energy that creates and becomes part of their of our shared energy environment with them and to be true I think that oftentimes humans think especially where our animals are concerned (laughs) and maybe it's true with other people that if something starts to go wrong either within the context of the relationship we have with our animal family members and sometimes our human family members I think humans uh, we're pretty quick to point the finger we're pretty quick to say, yeah, you know, my dog or my cat or my gerbil or my frog or my fish or whoever that happens to be, dog or cat, is started doing this behavior and I can't really figure out why. The first question I ask, well, probably maybe the second question I asked. The first question is, when was their last vet visit? Because I think it's always wise to rule out any behavioral things that may be coming on as the result of a health condition, which, you know, if you think about the times when you haven't been feeling well, sometimes you don't act well either, and maybe your behavior changes a little bit as well. The second question, though, that I usually ask is, it's actually two parts, 1A and 1B. The 1A is, when did the behavior change? And usually humans can pretty much point and say, yeah, well, you know, it happened about two months ago. And then my 1B part of that question, the follow-up question would be, and what was going on at this point in time when their behavior changed? It's not uncommon for the human to say, hmm, let me think. I'm not really sure what was going on. And then I probe a little bit deeper, and then I might say, well, were you upset about something? Was there an emotional shift for you? Was there a physical shift for you? Did you change jobs? Did you begin a new job? Was there a shift in your primary relationship status, if you have a primary relationship? And from there, we can usually draw a fairly straight line between the shift in energy on the part of the human that is now being mirrored by your favorite beloved animal companion. Because as I've said often enough before, animals are masters at the language of energy. And so if something goes off kilter or imbalanced, 
from their perspective within a shared energy environment, they're the first ones to hold up that mirror. It's not that they take on your behavior or that energy to be very clear, but they will mirror it for you because they they think to themselves, oh, well, I'm just going to show them what this energy feels like to me. And if it's particularly particularly fractured energy, for instance, if something had upset you, if there was um, a death, an actual death of a family member, a death of a job, a death of a relationship, because to be sure, those things aren't just changes, especially if something goes away. Those are also, from the standpoint of energy, a death, as represented in the life cycle of death, transition, new beginning, death, transition, new beginning. That's how that goes everywhere on this planet. And so your animal companion will mirror that energy for you in the form of a behavior because the behavior is the way that they have of holding up the red flag and saying, yeah, so this is not, this is not working for either you and most definitely not for me. And so because they lack, at this point in time, a shared verbal language with you, that's really the only, way, the only way they have of getting your attention so that you can take a half a step back, perhaps look inward, which also humans are not really fond of doing unless, <laughs> frankly, we're forced to, and begin some introspection and say, huh, yeah, absolutely, yes, uh-huh, I am the catalyst behind this shift in their behavior. And if we take it even a step further than that, and perhaps we might look at the world of shamanism as opposed to, say for instance, the world of psychotherapy. And not that I'm not a fan of psychotherapy. I am a fan of psychotherapy. I've been in therapy at several points along my own life path because it was really helpful to be able to talk with another human and again to have them mirror for me what was going on in my own life if I was maybe too close to it too involved with it too enmeshed in the emotions that I, I wasn't able to to get a clear picture one of the issues though with psychotherapy as opposed to shamanism is that psychotherapy can be about and not always because we also have somatic or body-centered uh, psychotherapy but psychotherapy can be about, traditionally, at least my perception, mostly about the mind or, again, what animals would refer to as the concept of mind because from their perspective, the mind doesn't really exist. The brain exists, to be sure, but the brain is part of the organic body system and not necessarily separate out from that. When we compare psychotherapy to shamanism, a psychotherapist might say to you, well, what's wrong? Hopefully not what's wrong with you, but perhaps what's wrong with the situation. With shamanism, a shaman might say to you, well, when did you stop laughing? When did you stop dancing? When did you stop being as happy as you once were? And at one point in time, when I was doing my radio show, uh, back in the day, as they say, there was an individual that I had on that gave me probably, it so resonated with me, a really good descriptor of what it feels like to be in a trauma situation or suffering from trauma. This individual happened to be really open about the fact that he had been diagnosed with PTSD. He had had two deployments, I believe, if memory serves, in Afghanistan. 
And his statement to me was that talk therapy could be abrasive. I thought that was a really excellent way of of getting to the point of particularly where the body suffers trauma or the body experiences trauma exactly in the same way as the energetic part of you, the light being part of you. And I think it's helpful at this point in time, and I've probably mentioned this before, that the more you can talk about your body in terms of my body or the body rather than I feel hungry, I feel sleepy, my body is hungry, my body is sleepy. What that does is that creates just that little bit of buffer space and allows for actually some really excellent conversation between you and the organic vehicle that you occupy on planet Earth. And where shamanism can come into play as either a partner to or perhaps as a complement for, or perhaps even a standalone as it relates to psychotherapy, is that shamanism takes into account not only the physical form and the impact that whatever change has happened or whatever trauma has happened, and to be to be clear, that's all relative. I mean, what is traumatic and what is felt to be traumatic and perceived to be traumatic by one individual is going to vary pretty dramatically and sometimes drastically from another individual. And that's okay. We're, we're not meant to be alike each other, and this isn't a competition. Shamanism, though, can really take into account the impact on the body and then actually use the body as an incredibly accurate and authentic feedback tool, if you will, when we step into the realm of something like soul retrieval, probably more accurately soul peace retrieval, as it relates to trauma. Yes, certainly there is talking during a soul retrieval session. At the same time, though, there's not a there's not a processing, if you will. There's not a, how did you feel about that? What did you think about that? That I think can be part and parcel of a psychotherapy session. With shamanism, it is identifying what was the trauma? When did the trauma occur? Was there a perpetrator involved in the trauma? And by perpetrator, I would mean, for instance, perhaps in the cases of incest, abuse, molestation, Um, domestic violence, those sorts of things. There is usually uh, a human perpetrator, someone who has determined to steal or to lessen, to take away from the amount of, again, aspect of soul, spirit, individual essence, kind of whatever vernacular you want to put in there, it doesn't really matter. But I guess I would probably sum it up and say, that very unique part of energetic slash electrical you that happens to be contained in an organic vehicle on planet earth at this point in time and i don't want to get lost in the weeds about you know having to get particular language the the essence of it and the feeling of it is much more important And sometimes soul retrieval is necessary when we talk about a shared energy environment, not only with other humans, but certainly with our animal companions. 
It's not uncommon with soul retrieval and those individuals who might be in need of soul retrieval for them to experience symptoms of feeling kind of slightly spacey, feeling a little bit out of body, feeling like or perceiving that the rest of the world is moving along at a rate and you're maybe just half a second or a second behind the rest of the world. There may or may not be actual physical memories of that particular trauma from a, a conscious standpoint or from a mental standpoint, uh, a memory standpoint, but most definitely the body for as long as you're in this body on planet Earth also functions as the most amazing memory bank on a cellular level that you could ever probably have on any other planet that you may choose to be on at any point along your soul path lineage. It's incredibly sensitive. It is most definitely pointed in the direction of keeping you happy and healthy and whole on this planet for as long as it's, po as long as it's supposed to. And again, depending upon soul path and choices that are made in that area. When we ask the body to, to deliver to us at a particular point in time, say for instance if we're going back into, gosh, young child, um, childhood ages, I'll usually see a number that correlates to an age at which the trauma or the violence, the abuse, whatever the situation is, the catalyst for the trauma occurred for that individual. And certainly, oftentimes, that individual doesn't really have any conscious, in-the-moment memory of that. However, my mentioning that age usually kind of functions as almost like a, a key and a lock. And then that, that particular key unlocks that particular point in time contained still within the tissues of the body and it is at that point that the body releases and the body says oh yes yes I remember now it sometimes happens that before that memory even comes back up there will be an outpouring of emotion on the part of the human and as an aside Certainly soul retrieval works really well for animals. They're better, at least <laughs> from my perspective, in pretty much everything that that is uh, done, said, um, being, etc. on this planet. They're more comfortable with their physical forms, and so they're, they're much more centered on, yeah, this is out of alignment. I, I want to bring that soul piece back. And so with humans, when there that comes that outpouring of emotion, then there can be some memories. There can be sometimes some fractured memories. There can be some awarenesses. The body at that point, though, because the key has already been fit into the lock and the lock is already, the key has already started to turn in the lock, it's usually then at that point that the client and I, the human and I, we create safe space. I usually ask people to imagine a perfectly clean white room with very soft lighting overhead. It's a very comfortable room. They're neither warm nor cold. It's just really pleasant to be in. This isn't about recalling memories. This isn't about past life regression. This isn't about 
any of those things it's not it's not about reliving that trauma to be to be clear it is about retrieving usually from an adult standpoint because then when you are an adult you are much more empowered to be protector of your much younger self and being able to retrieve and to bring back those soul pieces if you will and kind of imagine a puzzle that when the soul pieces separate from trauma the soul says to itself wow this trauma I I have experienced this the, the body and I are one at this point in time it's clear the body is going to go on the impact of this energy though and this trauma is so significant that I feel like I have to have a piece of myself stay in this place of trauma kind of to serve as a bookmark if you will until such time as that soul piece can be retrieved and brought back into the whole part of the soul and again kind of fit back into place like a puzzle piece and if you've ever worked on a puzzle before you'll know that sometimes with pretty critical puzzle pieces especially if you're nearing the end of the puzzle when you put that puzzle piece into place sometimes when you push it in there's a ripple effect right the edges of the puzzle kind of ripple up just a little bit and that's not dissimilar to the process of soul retrieval the beauty of it is that once that intention on the part of the human again usually as an adult although I certainly have facilitated soul retrieval for teenagers and for probably older adolescents it's it, it all depends upon forming the intention and being firmly in the place without any anxiety or fear at all to be able to say to that soul piece and to yourself and to your younger self it is safe to come home nothing like that will ever happen to you again there's some visualization that takes place. There certainly are some spirit partners, usually rather tall, kind of scary looking, <laughs> meaning from a strong standpoint, individuals that come in. And they're meant to serve the purpose of holding space. If there's a perpetrator involved, they usually have a hand or a very firm arm around the shoulder of said perpetrator so that the individual that I'm guiding through this visualization is very very clear about the fact that this individual can't hurt them anymore the perpetrator individual does not need to be still living these can certainly be individuals that had already transitioned and the most important thing to remember is that if you're considering soul, pe uh, soul retrieval or going through that soul retrieval process, this is your soul piece. It belongs to you. To a certain extent, it's not that you're incomplete without it, but I think it's fair to say that certainly everyone deserves an opportunity to have their soul feel as complete as possible the after effects are really nothing short of quite amazing and incredibly profound the body will guide the individual through the process clients will say wow I feel kind of a deep pressure in my chest 
that's an activation of the heart chakra and that piece of energy moving up into the heart chakra and depositing whatever energy it feels to it feels it needs to there there might be third eye activation there certainly might be crown chakra activation most definitely there is usually a solar plexus chakra activation the solar plexus serving as the seat of power in the body. The vagus nerve runs through there. The digestive system is part of the solar plexus. It literally runs the body uh, on, on a uh, nutritional and on a power level. Oftentimes the solar plexus will start to, individuals start to feel a little bit nauseous. That's merely the solar plexus chakra kind of amping up and giving the inhabitant of the body or actually the owner of the body indication that yes this is very real very tangible energy that we are working with and as I said the effects can be quite profound because then when we do a check back in and especially if it's a perpetrator a parent a brother a sister uh, an uncle, a grandparent, whoever that individual happens to be. And I ask my client to think about that individual again. There's kind of a neutrality there, which I think catches people off guard. Because when you first encounter compassionate neutrality toward another being that maybe before you had had some pretty strong feelings about and usually pretty negative feelings about, that compassionate neutrality can actually feel quite cool. And if you happen to be an empath, that compassionate neutrality can kind of catch you off guard a little bit. Because you might you might think to yourself, oh, have I lost have I lost the ability to feel? And that's certainly not what it is. What you've done though is taken back that part of yourself that was stolen and or affected by this other individual or this other situation. It truly is, at least when I look at it within the scope of all the work that I do, and I, it's not that I'm about ranking them, but certainly I would have to say it's just absolutely an amazing thing both to witness and to facilitate, and it's an amazing gift to give yourself if there's some trauma in your past that you'd really like to maybe come to terms with. Again, the bottom line is how can you have the most joyous experience on life on this planet? How can you actively choose to live like all the other animals on the planet live? They know only joy. They know only, does this feel good to my body? Yes. Does this feel bad to my body? No. Am I going to do these things that feel bad to my body? No, probably not. I'm going to need a lot of probably, for instance, if we're going to the vet, I'm probably going to need a lot of uh, a fair number of treats and lots and lots of praise to do this. But certainly, most definitely, they actively seek out those things that only feel good to their body and thus serve as a balm to their soul because that's what it's really about as far as your life experience, anyone's life experience here on planet Earth. I'm Lizanne Flynn. This has been the Animal's Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time. Thank you.
Thank you.